Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bannett. You're listening to the Daily Halacha, Kabbalah, and Machshava podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying this content, head over to yisodblocks.com where you can subscribe and support what we're trying to create and also get access to all the constantly updating new content that we're sharing every day, every week. A lot of new stuff coming soon. Also, check, up our new, check out our new WhatsApp feature where you can actually WhatsApp me directly through the website with any questions you might have about this episode, other episodes that you've heard. Uh, we have a lot of new stuff constantly coming out, so be in touch and looking forward to having you uh, join us in a more active way. Join our community, feedback and questions and comments and all kinds of stuff. So definitely head over there and join us now. Uh, in this episode, we're up to now a new Siman. Finally, we finished the section of Halacha that is about Bir Kasatora. And we're moving further now through Orachayim into Siman Memchet. And Memchet is this, it's section 48, and it's essentially beginning to reference this idea of korbanot. Korbanot are usually translated as sacrifices. That's how we translate that word. The word sacrifice, unfortunately, is way less um, user-friendly, useful, meaningful in terms of what it actually means, literally. I don't just mean like spiritually meaningful. Like it actually doesn't, it's not a very useful word in terms of its meaning. Uh, the word korban literally could be translated as a closifier from the word karov. And so there's this parallelism that we find all over the place. Uh, the Gemara discusses how when Chazal set up the Sidur, and all these different tefillot were essentially instituted, these different tools that we have in the Sidur. So there's a parallelism between them and the Korbanot, these closifying tools that we use in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple. And so the uh, this parallelism is um, is first, I mean, it's not first, but it's mentioned here in this in this section of Halacha. And so the Halacha says the following. It's uh, It says... So this halacha, I'll just mention first, the first halacha here actually starts with the Ramah, which is the Ashkenazi posik in the Shulchan Aruch. So he speaks first here, which is a little bit unusual, but just mentioning that. And he says, Haga, the Omrim Parshas Hatamid. We read the part of the Torah, which is where the Torah describes the korbanos of the korban tamid. So the korban tamid was this animal offering that was brought every day, once in the morning and once towards the end of the day. Uh, and all the other things that were done, essentially almost all the other th- things that are brought as offerings in the Beis HaMikdash, needed to be brought in between this these two offerings. So it's Korban Tamid literally means, from the word Tamid means always, it's constant. In other words, it's all, this is brought every single day. And so uh, we say, he says here, the halacha is that we say the Psukim from the Torah that are the Psukim of that halacha, the, the mitzvah of bringing the Korban Tamid. Those Psukim are found in two places. Uh, one's in Parshas Tetzaveh, and then another place in Parshas Pinchas. And we say the, the, the form of it that's in Parshas Pinchas. Now, the there's a little bit more let's just read a little more of the halacha here he says so we say that uh, there are people who say this there's a, an excerpt from the gemara Masechas Yuma, which is uh, essentially describing the procedure of what's done in the base hamikdash uh, on a daily basis uh there's like a special tefillah afterwards that we say uh in order to kind of say well now that we've spoken about what happened in the base hamikdash and what's done there so please accept our tefillos uh, the way that, that as, as if we've brought those korbanos, please accept our, our tefillos as if we had done the entire ma'aracha, as if we had actually done all the Beis HaMikdash type things. He So you could say these psukim even in your own house. And he basically goes on to give a little bit more detail about that. Now, we need to analyze the backstory of this halacha, obviously. That's the whole idea of, of this series, is to try to get to the deeper side that's underneath all these halachos. So the halacha, again, is that every day, it's in the Sidur, we say these psukim. Um, it's it's after Birkos HaShachar, and before we start the section of tefillah in the morning called Psukei de Zimra. 
And so the, the idea here, you have to kind of know a little bit about what the Korbanos are and what the Mishkan actually is in the base of Mikdash. And so let's just go a little bit more deeply into that. So for those who have uh, been, or who are already subscribed and you're listening to the Chumashcast series, so we discussed recently there's this, the, the storyline, the unfolding of the story of the Mishkan essentially revolves around Hashem's attempt to create this bridge between us and Hashem that is a permanent bridge of, of, we'll call it a permanent bridge of balanced and clear perception. So let me explain what I mean by that. So the Eitz Adas, which is the, the root of the story of the Chumash, essentially, it's the it's almost the core ingredient that, that the rest of the Chumash, um, um, we'll say, emanates from in terms of the storyline and the purpose, the goal of the Chumash, is, is this this event that took place in which the people in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Chava, Ishva Isha, whatever you want to call them, depending on which part of the story we're talking about, they ate from this tree and then it created a distortion, it, cre- it created a capacity in humanity to actually develop perceptions, deot, that are based uh, on our preferences, a function of our preferences. In other words, we now have the ability to perceive reality, not as it is, but through the lens of our preference. So, so what that means is that we actually develop perceptions that are, you can call them seeing what you want to see, seeing what you're interested in, seeing what you're titillated by, seeing what you're fascinated by, seeing what you're scared of, things that uh, that grab your attention uh, as, a, as a function of your emotional or intellectual preference, then are are developed into actual perceptions of existence that you then use to evaluate everything else. This is what, as an example, this is what trauma is. When you experience something that is intense emotionally, either very frightening or very enjoyable, so it can actually leave an imprint on your mind and on your on your chemistry, essentially. And so your emotional, your physiological uh, chemical state that is the emotional state of the body, so it actually then creates uh, uh, corresponding thoughts in your mind, and you then build this this cycle of thinking and feeling that embeds a certain way of seeing the world. And this is exactly when when the what the Eitz Hadas did was, you know, according to some opinions, it seems like our whole biological framework as it is today is a function of the Eitz Hadas because what happened was now the way that our bodies essentially were we 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 developed or received bodies that are much more uh, there's an intermingling of the neshama consciousness and the body in a way that is now um, much more, we'll call it mixed up, what's called what Rechaim Vital calls a, a, a mixing, a hitarvut, of, of tov and ra, meaning that our bodies are now essentially very, very uh, mixed together. The consciousness side, which is the side of you, which is the real you, is now deeply intermingled with the the material side, which is the side of the body and all of its um, proclivities. And so the the process of the chumash is the the constant, we'll say, constant attempt and constant development of the distinctioning, the, the development of distinction, the development of distinguishing between the part of us that is our consciousness and the part of us that is our body and our body's um, desires, proclivities, interests. And so the the perception side of this, the side of Das Tovara, what the tree does is it basically makes you, when you experience a particular desire in your body, so you, you easily identify that as yourself. You say, oh, I want pizza or I want this thing that's attracting me. And then you we develop incrementally over time, we don't even realize that we do, we develop this perception of ourselves as essentially like a compilation of all these different sensations, feelings, desires, thoughts, and we get more and more deeply attached to that self-image, that perception of ourself, 
and then that actually slowly can can create um, deep damage because very often our self-image is, is since it is a function of our habits and our preferences it actually gets in the way of us accessing the truth of who we are so a very basic idea of this is when we talk about you know when you when you say to yourself um, very simple things like oh i'm not good at x or y so then you're actually creating these self-imposed limitations it could, could be that you struggle with let's just pick math it's a kind of a famous one people like this in the education space when people say i'm not good at math and it's like it could be that you actually struggle with math but it doesn't mean that you can't learn a little bit more how to develop thoughts that are math oriented thoughts and actually become more than you are but certainly a perception of yourself as not good at it will only serve to make it impossible for you to actually ever make progress there's actually a lot of fascinating uh, studies about, about these kinds of things how uh, self-imposed limitations can really damage a person's personal development simply be just, just as a function of their actual uh, they're just just their perception getting in the way and literally rewriting their mind to not be able to do things simply because they perceive themselves as incapable. So a very fascinating area. Um, but the point here is that that the Torah's framework of things actually is exactly that. It's that our perceptions are deot when they become das tovara when we actually perceive the world through the lens of our preferences. We can actually develop. Uh, a self-image that becomes some kind of composite of our own our own experiences, our own preferences, instead of looking at ourselves and saying, okay, it could be that I have all these memories and I have all these attachments to particular events over time, but those are just my mazal. That's just the natural flow of my life that I am now kind of stuck inside of. I think of myself as, well, all those things that I that happened to me over the last, you know, 50, 40, 30, 20 years of my life, I'm now, uh, I'm now a product of all of that, and that's how, who I am, that's where I am today. This is very subtle. We have this in the back of our minds. We don't even realize how much we attach our own sense of self to these memories, to these habits, to these events, to the, the long picture, the long movie of our past that is inside of our minds. And that's all part of the world of our mazal. But the, the tricky part here is that the Gemara says that we're not supposed to be part of our mazal. We're supposed to actually rise above. The Medrash says this in Parshas Lechacha. And uh, there's also a Gemara, I believe it's in Maseches Nedarim, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, we have the ability to rise above the natural flow of our tendencies and of our past and of our habits and actually become somewhat timeless and spaceless from look, looking at ourselves from the changeless core, from the neshama level of who we really are, looking down, again, not literally down, but conceptually the idea of more tangible is always down in the language of the Torah and the language of Chazal, looking down and then trying to essentially uh, pull ourselves out of those those that natural flow so we can actually redirect and recreate ourselves however we want according to perceptions of truth and not perceptions of habit and preference. And so that process of, of pulling ourselves out is, is the process of tefillah. That's what the word the word tefillah literally means alignment. What we're trying to do is we're trying to to climb out of the natural flow and align ourselves with the the higher truth, the higher self which and which is beyond the natural flow, which is, again, timeless and spaceless. Now, what does all that have to do with the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash? Well, the ultimate, the ultimate point of, of alignment, or the ultimate, like the ultimate destination, is actually uh, Hashem. In other words, the Torah, the Torah essentially describes 
that Hashem is the source of all being. He's the source of the universe, the source of all things, the source of every atom, and he is the underlying consciousness that is manifest in the diversity and plurality of existence. And so what we are is we are also an aspect of an expression of that underlying self that is Hashem. That's Hashem is the Anochi, is the ultimate self. We are aspects of that. And so when I talk about you know climbing out of the flow and accessing the higher self like that, the ultimate expression of that, the root of who you are, all the way at the core, if you can get to the end of, of who you are, where now there's almost like this wall inside yourself where you say, yeah, like, you know, where do all these thoughts and perceptions come from? They, you know, think of your thoughts as like a train that's barreling through your mind constantly, it's more and more and more thoughts. Like, where's that train start? Where does it come from? And you go to the source of it, and you'll see there's almost like this nothingness, which is where it comes from. That nothingness is the wall of Tzim Tzum, where Hashem basically put this blockage so you experience yourself as other than Hashem. And so what we're trying to do is, we're trying to actually get comfortable with that space and then experience the underlying truth that is that Hashem is actually the root of ourself and to, 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 to align ourselves with that more and more and more deeply. And that's actually the antidote to the Eitz Hadas. Just like all the mitzvahs of the Torah are the antidote to the Eitz Hadas, what we're trying to do is use every mitzvah, every tool in the Torah to actually rebalance that situation so we actually have Hashem consciousness and our consciousness uh, as as kind of like part of one puzzle, one seamless whole where they all fit together and we can see all that at once. And that's actually what was supposed to happen in Har Sinai. At Har Sinai, Hashem tore open the heavens and the earth and revealed himself in his totality to us to allow us to experience him uh, as fully as, he, as we once did before the story of the Eitz Hadas. The only problem was that because we were very, very trapped in the flow of the Mazal, we were actually unable to receive Hashem's presence fully and it was actually very, very difficult. It was very challenging for us to receive that without it essentially wiping us out and destroying all sense of identity and we were unable to hold this balanced place of there's me as a separate self that is a function of that seem zoom project that seem zoom uh, software that blocks me from experiencing myself as simply part of Hashem. So I can't have that in my head and also have my in my head the oneness that I share with Hashem. And we spoke, we're supposed to have both of those thoughts at once. We're supposed to be both one with Hashem and also other than Hashem paradoxically at the same time. That's exactly the same mystery as the paradox of love, where if I ask you, with the person that you that you love, are you one person or two? And the answer is, yeah. Like we are, we have a shared self and we're also two separate people and we're, we're one and we're two, but we're one that are two that are one that are two. And there's no answer to that question because the magic of love is that it's actually the oscillation between the oneness and otherness that is actually one larger truth that is actually beyond the either or. And so that's that's the root of Torah is that concept. So what we're saying then is that what happened in Harsinai is that they were unable to actually hold both of those truths without either one or the other essentially destroying the experience. And so they they the only person that was able to, to do that was Moshe. And again, all the details of this are mentioned are in the Chumash cast over the last five, six weeks on Yesodblocks.com. You can check it out over there. Um, but the uh, the 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 whole flow, the thrust of the story is that the people failed to achieve that that uh, that that balance or that paradoxical unification of these two things, except for Moshe. Moshe was able to do that, and so then the people basically said to Moshe, "You continue. You go on, and 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 then uh, we're gonna we're gonna stay here." And Hashem basically then institutes this tool called the Mishkan as how to incrementally acclimate the people to being able to reach that paradoxical balance of having Hashem dwell within them while still maintaining some sem- some semblance of separateness, because we need to be both ourselves and one with Hashem at all times. That's what it means 
means to be actually kadosh. To be kadosh means to be dedicated to Hashem while also doing the things that we are doing in the world. So let me do my things, but doing them in a way that is now dedicated to Hashem. So there's there's oneness and there's also meanness, otherness. And so that's what all the, the Mishkan and all its korbanos are all about that. So when you talk now about the the me- the mechanisms of the Mishkan, the korbanot, so why are they called that? Why are they called korbanos? So the answer is they're not sacrifices. Uh, sacrifices talks about, you know, killing animals or something like that. And of course, it's important to mention that uh, that there are korbanos that are not even with animals, like the korban mincha is not an animal sacrifice, um, animal offering. So the there's a lot more detail about korbanos that needs to be analyzed. Actually, we're going to be starting that in the Chumash cast this week as we get to Parshas Vayikra. But the, the idea here is that the korban is a closifier. What does it mean, a closifier? It means it makes you closer to Hashem. And so what you're doing is you're basically trying to pull yourself out of the of the flow of the mazal and actually align yourself with Hashem more deeply. And of course, every korban has a different way that it does that. There's a few different kinds of korbanos, but part, partially it's about um, seeing the life force that's inside of an animal. The life force of an animal is animal life force, uh, something which we actually possess also now because of the way that our bodies are. Like we said earlier, we have a mix now between consciousness and animal bodies that are now intermingled. And so trying to access our awareness of our own animal side and seeing it for what it is, a tool that could be used and harnessed uh, towards Hashem. So that's what we're doing. We're basically taking animal animal self, animal animal uh, instinct, animal soul, really what's called nefesh behima, and we're giving it to Hashem to essentially uh, act according to some opinion, it's like it's like it's a stand-in for ourselves. And so there's a lot more to say about how korbanos work, but the core idea here is to recognize what's going on in the Chumash, what's going on in these halachos, that these are closifiers. They're, they're, this is exactly why tefillah is, is an analog for korbanos, because tefillah is also simply, it's an alignment tool. The korbanos are alignment tools. And so when we say these psukim, again, there's a lot more detail here in terms of how korbanos work, but the short idea that we're saying in terms of this point is that we say these psukim, the halachas, we say these psukim that are about korbanos because this is essentially a, it's trying to reconnect to the process that we're in. We're still in that process now. In other words, we were con- we, the goal of the entire situation was to try to use the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash and these Korbanos over time to align ourselves with Hashem the way that Moshe was, so we could actually finish the story and, and actually get to the next stage, the stage of Olam Haba, which is the stage where the the stage where there's balance where the, I mean the stage of Olam Haba essentially is one where Hashem's presence is fully balanced with our presence of our own selves, which is why it's the time of immortality, the time where there's no disease, the time where we essentially are able to just spend uh, like our biological bodies are healed, and then you know, we don't we don't have the same types of dynamics with food and and disease and all these the very heavy biological side of things is kind of like smoothed out and the animal side is reduced or at least put in its proper place instead of being much more dominant. And this is what, you know, essentially that's, this is the next phase of existence. So that, that was the goal. That was what was supposed to happen. Like if you've maybe, maybe you've heard of the Medrash, there's many Medrashim like this, but a Medrash that says that if we would have just been able to receive the Torah properly, then we would have gone straight into the land of Israel. Moshe would have been the Moshiach. We would have just started Olam Haba right then. So what are the, what do these things mean? It refers to the end of death, the end of, of biological distortion, the end of, of, uh, of the intermingling 
of these things in such a way that then we can actually clarify who we are and then we live forever without these distortions and just constantly getting more and more and more awareness of Hashem and of each other and deeper and deeper connections, which is the meaning of the Gemara and the Medrash, which says that in the future we're just going to spend all of our time learning Torah. It doesn't mean that we just sit and learn Gemara all day. It means that we're constantly absorbing more and more truth about who we are, who Hashem is, and who each of and, and who each other is, and getting closer and closer. And so that's uh, that's something which is essentially you know coming soon to a world near you. We're getting closer and closer to that phase because we're actually incrementally we've been absorbing this these ideas from Hashem for the last few thousand years. That's what the idea of the Korbanos was, and the and the Mishkan and Tefillah. All these ideas were simply about trying to align ourselves more and more with Hashem over time, to actually eventually make ourselves able to be like Moshe. And then uh, you know Moshe right now is still waiting for us to achieve this so we can wake up in the resurrection phase and then come into the land of Israel with us and actually start the next phase, the, the much longer phase of Olam Haba, immortal life where we actually spend all of our time loving, connecting, deepening, developing, building existence, building the world in a way that is not distorted by all of the problems that we have today. So that's essentially what's embodied in this halacha. We're going to go a little more deeply into it, uh, the second half of this halacha in the next episode, um, but that's definitely the, a good start for Siman Memchet. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks so much for tuning in and looking forward to having you join me for the next episode.